selected clips and music appear courtesy of the film The Wall of Mexico. Hi, this is actor Kerrigan Zell. Welcome to Hollywood and Beyond with Stephen Brittingham. Send host Stephen Brittingham your comments and questions to Hollywood and Beyond Show at gmail.com. That is Hollywood and Beyond Show at gmail.com. Stephen looks forward to hearing from you soon. Hi, this is Stephen. Before we get to another meaningful interview and episode, there is a wonderful podcast that I'd like to recommend to you titled Filmmaking Without Fear, featuring award-winning director and filmmaker Elizabeth Blake Thomas and director of photography Duncan Johnson. Together, they share their filmmaking knowledge and help you to create magic from script to screen. Let's hear what Elizabeth has to say about her podcast. Filmmaking Without Fear gives you permission to just go for it and make the film you've always wanted to make. I'm going to share my filmmaking journey and break down all my past films with the help of my wonderful DP, Duncan Johnson. We're available to stream on all major streaming networks, including Apple Podcasts, Google and Spotify. Something unusual is going on at the Mexican-American Arista family ranch. Something to do with the Arista water well. Actress and singer Blake Lindsley visits Hollywood and Beyond today to discuss her role in the feature film, The Wall of Mexico. Available in virtual theaters October 9th and video on demand on October 13th. You and your colleagues down at the station know exactly what's going on here. So let's stop pretending this is a misdemeanor. (laughs) I'm not pretending anything. Trespassing is a misdemeanor. Stealing water this amount, first offense, $25 to $250 fine. Please stop playing games. I'll lose my temper. You lose your temper and I'll arrest you right now for assault. And now, on to my conversation with Blake Lindsley. Enjoy the show. Hi, friends and listeners. Welcome to Hollywood and Beyond Podcast. Host Stephen Brittingham here. It is so nice to have you listening. Thank you so much, and thanks, too, for all of the wonderful support. As mentioned during the opening segment, my guest today is Blake Lindsley, a talented actress with a very impressive career. Blake visits the show to discuss her latest role in the film, The Wall of Mexico. Blake appears in a significant scene in the film, and I am looking forward to hearing what she has to say about it. Her career includes numerous guest-starring appearances on such shows as CSI, Criminal Minds, and NYPD Blue. 
Her feature film credits include the film Starship Troopers. And she is also an experienced voiceover artist and can even sing opera. Blake Lindsley, welcome to Hollywood and Beyond. Thank you so much. So happy to be here. Well, thank you for joining me. I, I'm looking forward to speaking with you today. It's so wonderful to have you here as a guest. And thanks again for joining me. How are you doing today? I'm very well. I just got both my kids on their school Zoom calls and <laughs> I'm ready for something else. <laughs> there you go. Good to hear that. Well, uh, where are you joining me from today? I'm sitting in my little office and voiceover studio in the Hollywood Hills. In the Hollywood Hills. Well, that sounds very nice. Well, <laughs> once again, I really appreciate you uh, joining me today. This new film, The Wall of Mexico, I described it during the opening segment, but I have to add that I find it to be very intriguing, the overall setup of the film. Uh, it makes you want to keep watching. They try to figure out, all, you know, this m mysterious storyline and all the underlying elements that go along with it. Um, and your character, as I mentioned moments ago, I feel she is a part of a very significant scene because she kind of uh, changes the tone of the film and takes it into a different direction. So I thought I'd give you an opportunity to describe your character to the listeners today. Sure. I, I couldn't agree more with your take on it. Um, when I first read the script, I found you know, the whole beginning part of the script is this very dreamy and philosophical um, journey through, through the minds of these two young girls and their banter in this very unusual family. Um, and then when my character came in, it was like suddenly reality sets in. Um, my character is a very um, hard-nosed police officer, and uh, she's heard about this strange family before, but she doesn't quite expect what, what happens with their interaction. Um, but I think that it's a little bit of a, a hard dose of reality for the patriarch, played by Isai Morales, who thinks that he can do whatever he wants because he's sort of the, the richest guy in town, and has all the power of owning this very mysterious well that uh, produces this very special water that people are really um, dying to get their hands on. And uh, so I, I just loved the scene. I thought it was such an interesting um, change in the film, uh, in the dynamic of the film. And I loved my character. I loved her, her strength and her, um, her, her humor, frankly. Um, and and uh, I just, I couldn't wait to, to play that scene. I had a lot of fun with it. Thank you for that excellent description. Well, I, um, this was shot at night. Was this one of those all-nighters by chance? Yeah, it was. It was a night shoot, which um, when you're just doing one of them can be really challenging. Um, because I, I have little kids, so I didn't prep by staying up really late the nights before. Um, I... I took the train down to Mexico, which was kind of fun because we shot the film in Mexico. And, um, and then it was pretty hard staying up and staying focused uh, for that one night. And it was also really cold. Um, but the film took place when it was supposed to be warm. So we were all dressed kind of lightly and shivering in between takes. <laughs> shivered in the take, obviously. But I had to keep my chin to stop clattering while I was saying my lines. Um, 
So, yeah, night shoots can be very challenging. When I did Starship Troopers, we did two weeks of nights. So you can imagine after a few days we got used to it. But, um, but a one-off like that for me was a, little, was a little bit of a challenge. So it takes you, uh, for example, when you mentioned like a two-week filming period of all-nighters, it takes you a few days to get acclimated to the situation. Yeah, usually when you have something like, like that coming up, you try, say, the weekend before to sort of stay up until 3 or 4 in the morning and sleep in on days when you're not working um, so that you just get your body used to it so that you can stay focused and, and, and not get really tired. But um, uh, in, this, in this case, I, I wasn't able to do that, so I just, I just got a little bit tired. It was okay. It turned out fine. <laughs> but there were a couple takes toward the end there where I started forgetting my lines, and, and that's very unusual <laughs> for me. So Zach, one of the co-directors, he kind of took me aside and said, everything okay? I said, yeah, I just, maybe I need to eat something, get my blood sugar up. It just you know, got a little cold and hungry there around 3 a.m. or so. Now, this is a film that has not one but two directors. Two co-directors. Uh, Zach and, and Magdalena are, are life partners and co-writers and co-film directors. And that's something I've never experienced. I, I know there are um, a couple of pairs of brother directors out there and stuff like that. But uh, this is the first time I've heard of, and I'm sure that it has existed at some point in, in, in history. But it was very cool to work with a, with a partner. And they have very different takes. They're, they're very different but they didn't argue or, or have any, they, they just kind of overlapped each other and talked about different things that were important to them. So both of them were present during the filming of your scene. Oh yeah, both very much hands-on. So it's not like a tag team where I'm going to do this scene and you're going to go do that scene. Uh, it, it, they're together on, on each scene as far as you know, is that right? Absolutely, absolutely. I'm, I'm quite sure that that's how it was throughout the rest of the film. Um, I'm pretty sure in this instance it was only Zach who wrote this particular script, but they both are writers and partners in that sense and producing partners. But as far as the directing goes, they are very much a team. And I sensed some anger in your character. Was that your intention? Uh, it was underlying, of course. Uh, there were moments where it became more clear when she became very firm with what you know she was saying to the other characters. But to me, that was kind of interesting because I felt like your character knew more than I did about this situation. Yeah, I think that's definitely what I was going for. So I'm glad that it came across. Um, you know, part of uh, what I brought to to the character and to the scene is. Um, that I felt she had an understanding being the, the sheriff of that town, um, that this family thinks they're a little bit above everybody else. They have this large property. They clearly are of means and they are charging, uh, people, a ridiculous sum of money for some of this water. Um, a lot of people in the town feel that it should be, uh, free to everybody in town and certainly shouldn't be, people shouldn't be charged these exorbitant prices. Um, of course, you know, the, the water has very special qualities, which is why the family feels that they can, they can charge these, these huge sums. But I think my character feels that it's not right, um, that this family is, is enriching themselves off of people who, who really don't have a lot of money to spare. And then as the scene progresses, it becomes very clear to me uh, that that Esai, the patriarch, thinks that he can take the law into his own hands when it comes to these people who are trying to steal his water, and that's that's just a, you know taking things way 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 too far. It's, it's not his 
his right, and, and I let him know in no uncertain terms that if he were to harm anyone on his property, that I would be prosecuting him to the full extent of the law. And the cinematography, you know, instantly, it grabbed me as I'm viewing it. I really liked a lot of the way that many of the scenes were set up visually. You know, it was something that I found uh, very appealing. And also, and this is the good news, it intertwines with the storytelling aspect very well. You know, sometimes if you have one or the other, well, then you have something that's missing, of course. But in this case, I thought it was combined very effectively. Yeah, so I, I think that what they, they did a really nice job with was in the sort of fantastical um, places in the film that the cinematography goes along with that. And then, you know, for example, in my scene where it's really harsh reality, the, 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 the camera stays very still and it's very focused. And the director, uh, Zachary, he is also the composer for the film. Yeah, he's certainly a, a multi-talented gentleman. He is, he is a poet in addition. Oh, well, hey, that just another uh, impressive uh, uh, a talent that he has. And I must say that I also felt the music helped set the tone and the atmosphere for The Wall of Mexico. Definitely. I agree. Well, I would be very curious in learning how did you get this opportunity to appear in the film? So, you know, so many things in Hollywood happen because of connections or friendships or, or having worked previously with, uh, with a certain team member. But in this case, I literally got a call or an email from my agent that I had an audition and I read the script and I went in and had never met anybody involved in the film before. I did my audition and they recorded it. And a few weeks later or a month later, I got the offer. It was, it was the nicest way to get a job, completely legitimately and very simply and easily. <laughs> it sounds like it went rather smoothly. That's always appreciated, isn't it? <laughs> well, there is something that happens when you read a, a script or, or a character and something clicks and you just know, you know, I, I can really do this. This is really in my wheelhouse. I can bring something special to this role that no one else can bring. And I don't always get those jobs when I, when I have that feeling, but it's a really good feeling to have and really makes you feel confident going in there that this is something. It's also, on the other side of the coin, really hard when you get an audition. You think, oh, no, I can't do this. <laughs> well, congratulations to you, Blake. You did a, a fantastic job with your role, and I enjoyed seeing you in the film very much. Thank you so much. Thank you. I actually have another uh, film coming out um, at the Woodstock Film Festival. Uh, I think it's September 30th, so just in a few days. And uh, that is called Horse Latitudes. Um, so look out for that, too. I have quite a large role in, in that one, and it's set in the south of France. It's also got some beautiful cinematography and very different film. It's a, it's a small um, romantic comedy, dramedy um, but it's a, a really beautiful, lovely film. I'm very proud of it as well. Blake, that sounds fantastic. Uh, I will keep my eye out on that. And please feel free to come back and discuss the film in detail. I would enjoy that very much. Terrific. Well, check it out. Um, Woodstock Film Festival. And then later on next month, I believe it's going to be yeah, sure. at uh, Newport Beach Film Festival as well. Yeah. There you go. Sounds great. Now, 
I was going to save this question for the very end, but I'll just skip ahead. Uh, you, you know, the title of that film makes me think of something I learned about you that I found very interesting, and that is you are a competitive horseback rider, and you've even won championships. Yeah, that's correct. I've been riding since I was about seven years old, and I took a break uh, when I went to college and while I was finding my feet after college, but then I, when I was able to, I got back into it, and I, I compete on the horseshoe circuit. I I do jumping, and it's a, a great passion of mine. Um, one uh, one piece of advice that I read once that Jack Nicholson gave to a young actor who asked him for his advice, he said, find a great hobby. <laughs> and nothing can be farther from the <laughs> truth. Actors have so much downtime. Um, this business is so rough and tumble. Uh, there are good years and very lean years. So if you have something you love to do that, that fills your time with joy, and takes your mind off of the phone not ringing or the, the email not coming in with that audition or that job, then, then by all means, pursue it. And that has been a great joy to me, a great respite. You know, that is also something that would have a positive impact on an actor's life because you, you, you laid it out there so well, Blake, is when you have that extra downtime, you know, doing something that you enjoy is just like breath of fresh air it can it can really recharge the batteries and and when you go back to work you're you're going to be feeling you know just so ready to go exactly uh when i got the offer for for horse latitudes there was just a moment because it was shooting in august in in france and uh, for a second but that's when the cpha finals are <laughs> of course i had to take you know, there's more than your career comes first. Um, but I had to miss a big horse show to do that shoot. But there was obviously there was no question in my mind what the right choice was. And it turned out to be such a such a good choice. But it's funny when your hobby is so important that you have that little voice. going. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hear you. Now, are you writing in this uh, new film? No, it's interesting that it's called Horse Latitudes, but it doesn't have actually there is a horse in it at the very beginning. Um, but uh Horse Latitudes refers to, um, it's a, a, a place um, in the ocean, it's at 30 degrees north and south of the equator. Um, if you're on a boat, you get caught in what, what are called these latitudes. There, there's almost no wind and, and no rain, and you just have to drift there, um, unless, of course, you have a motor, and then you motor through it. But if you're on a sailboat and you are in the Horse Latitudes, you stay still. It's a It's a... You can't go forward, you can't go backward. And I think that the, the reference is to where this character, the main um, male lead in the film, where he sort of is in, in his life in this moment. I see. Well, that that explains it and clears it up for me. I, I suppose once I learned about your background, I thought, oh, okay, so Blake's going to be writing in this film or something along those lines. I would love it. Hey, <laughs> out there, I would love to do a movie and ride a horse in it. <laughs> That's always been something. I'm, I'm also a singer, as you as you mentioned, um, not just opera, but, but jazz and, and musical theater, all kinds. And I have sung a little bit here and there in a couple films. But I've never gotten to ride a horse in a film. It was always my dream that I would have some kind of international velvet role come along, but not yet. <laughs> well, Blake, how did this artistic journey begin for you? So I guess I should say to you, would you mind letting us know where you're from first? And then how did your journey as an artist begin for you? Sure. So I, I actually am from Los Angeles originally. 
Um, when I was three, my, my parents split up and my mom went to work in the Carter administration. So I lived for four years in D.C. and then we moved back. I was at that point in D.C. that I began singing and, uh, you know, the teachers told my mom she really has a gift, a musical gift. Um, so I pursued singing lessons uh, here in L.A. when I got back. And at a certain point, my mom said to me, you know, the, the best I, I was studying opera at the time. I was about 11. And she said, um, you know, the best opera singers are really good actors as well. And I thought, oh, how silly. Uh, but she said, you should take a, a summer theater workshop or something and, and just kind of hone those skills if this is something you're serious about. So I did. And I just fell in love with acting. It blew me away. And uh, much to my mother's chagrin, because she really wanted me to be an opera singer. And I did still continue studying opera for many years. And I performed in Salzburg and, and in, um, in Aspen and the music festivals there. But, uh, but I really knew in my heart that I wanted to be an actor who sings rather than a singer who acts. And uh, throughout high school, I pursued um, plays and, and musical theater and not just in school, but professionally as well, because I was here in L.A. and there were those opportunities. Uh, I got my, my SAG and my equity cards when I was still in high school. And so when I went off to college and, and I majored in theater at Yale, uh, I was one of very few kids who had came into college in their theater program already having really be, being a professional. Uh, most kids, you know, they did school plays, but they hadn't been out there in the workforce because they weren't from Los Angeles or New York City. Um, there were those, those kids who did. Uh, so getting out of college already with my with my union um, memberships was a little bit of a leg up, but I I did not uh, go to graduate school because when I was I applied and I got accepted to uh, both acting and opera MFA programs. But my senior year, I, I maintained an agent throughout college and auditioned in New York and LA when I could. And my senior year, I booked Starship Troopers, which started shooting. Actually, before I even graduated, I finished my final senior year and I got on a plane to to the set in, in Wyoming and I wasn't even able to walk for my graduation because it was too difficult to get back on that Memorial Day from a little tiny town in, in Wyoming where we were shooting. And that, as they say, is history. <laughs> and what a history that is. Wow. You know, I was thinking about what your mother had said to you or her reasons why she was hoping you would get into opera and then how, you know, uh, the connection with acting. And, you know, do you find that opera is a version of acting? That opera singers, when they're putting on a production, they're perhaps acting through song? Oh, most, most definitely. Um, you know, there are those stand and sing singers uh, who have beautiful voices and, and you just don't connect with them because they're not bringing to life these characters in, in in some ways it's even more important that they focus on the acting part of it because most of the time it's in another language and while there are subtitles or on the front of your seat or above the stage in most major opera houses you don't want to necessarily be just staring at that screen and reading the words you want to feel what's going on with the the performances um and and so much of opera is is it's so it's such a um, emotional uh, form of of artistry that uh, somebody who connects to the the music in a visceral emotional way is is just going to give you a, a much better performance than someone who's just singing for the sake of singing. You know, Blake, it's clear to me that you just didn't 
dive into opera just to do it. You have a sincere interest in opera. I'm just curious, though. I mean, how does a, you know? How did you become interested in opera? You know, it's just something that's um, you know, it's different than going. Hey, I want to be a pop singer. <laughs> you know, so uh, how did you like discover opera? Well, I remember so clearly being in elementary school and singing in the group, you know, chorus or something, and and. I could hear my voice above everyone else's and the kids would turn around the kids in front of me and stare and the teacher would stop everyone and say, who is that? Because I had this very clear vibrato, this very strong soprano voice with, with a lot of vibrato. Um, and this was when I was maybe nine or 10 years old. So she referred me to, and my mom to a, a, a vocal coach who was uh, at teaching opera at university of, of California in Northridge. And, um, she listened to me and said, you are a true coloratura. You have this gift. Um, you know, you can sing rock, you can sing pop, you can sing musical theater, you can sing jazz, but not everybody can sing, you know, an E flat above high C, which was something that I could just do. It just was there. Um, so I pursued it because I, it, was, it, it was very clear that that was something, a, a talent I possessed. Um, I wasn't wasn't what came first, the chicken or the egg. You know, I didn't fall in love with opera and then choose to sing it. It chose me. Um, but I did obviously fall in love with it. And and when I was 11 years old, I asked for Christmas. I asked for a subscription to the Los Angeles Opera. I went down there with whoever, whatever adult I could get to take me. Um, you know, at six or seven times a year downtown to see the opera they had. That's very nice. That's very nice. Well, that just says it all right there, doesn't it? If that's what you requested. And then later on, when I was a, a teenager, I, I asked my mom if I could go to Salzburg for the summer. I went the first time just to listen, just to, I stayed with a family friend and, and I was you know, 15, 16 years old going to operas by myself. <laughs> um, and then the following year, I was accepted into a program where I, I was able to perform. Well, have you put out any CDs on your own or any singles by chance? I, I have a couple of recordings on my on my website, BlakeLindsley.com. I they're not from the height of my uh, um, training. You know, they're sort of later on. I thought, oh, I should really put make some recordings. It was already when I had really focused on acting, and so there, the, the one opera aria on there is not my my best. But I do have some recordings from my. Um, I did a, a performance at Yale when I was a junior and I did uh, some really difficult um, uh, operas and that was sort of at the height of my training. I've been training at the Met with Ruth Falcon. So, you know, I should really look into seeing if I can get those up on my website because they are, they are pretty cool to have. Well, that sounds uh, very exciting if that would happen. And, and thank you for sharing, you know, a lot of your artistic journey with me and, uh, I find you to be such an interesting person, and it's very impressive all that you've accomplished, and I know you've been very dedicated to achieve all of those things. Now, you, you mentioned the website, so uh, I wanted to let people know out there that uh, it's a website full of information all about you. That's right. I should <laughs> update it a little bit more and put some clips from, um, from the Wall of Mexico and Horse Latitudes now that they are in release to get those up there, yeah. Well, before we conclude, Blake, I thought I would bring up uh, your appearance on CSI. I'm a huge CSI fan, and um, I believe 
although please correct me if I'm incorrect, but I believe that, that your character became a victim one that, that episode. So a, a, another funny little story is... Sure. It's a thing that you're not supposed to be on any show twice. They, they, changed, they bent those rules on the, that New York Law & Order show because there were oh. not that actors living in New York and so many episodes of Law & Order. Yes, yes. But on CSI, they were much stricter, but I was on CSI twice. Oh, wow. Different. Okay. Which is really unusual. The first time was on an episode called Sex, Lies, and Larvae back in the first season, and I played an art expert that um, they go to to prove that some art was forged. Um, I used to remember that I had this very technical line. I used to be able to still remember it. The, this electrothermal atomizer is set at the excitation wavelength for blah, 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 something like that. <laughs> um, and then, um, yeah, years later, they needed uh, someone who could sing. And that, that's an, uh, an example of a show that I was able to sing on. Um, I play a, a Las Vegas crooner who gets killed by her um, unhappy boyfriend. She's having an affair. And, uh, yeah, so I got to both sing and uh, play dead. <laughs> now, did you have any interaction with Robert David Hall in the one where you were, were you know, being dead, so to speak? Yeah, he's he's the um, the morgue doctor, right? Yes. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was in a scene, but I was I think I was dead already at that point. We did have some nice chats because while we were on set, because uh, we actually had worked together, although again not um, not interacting with each other in Starship Troopers. Uh, you know, he Very nice. plays a, a guy who says, the mobile inter- infantry made me the man I am today. Which <laughs> is away from the desk, and you see that he doesn't have any legs. Well, I, I think so highly of Robert. Yes, he's a, he's a wonderful, um, wonderful man. And uh, another person I'm actually very good friends with to this day, who I never did a scene with in CSI, but Wallace Langham is uh, married to my best friend. So, Oh, wow. Nothing. Yeah. So you have quite the connection to the original CSI. Yeah. <laughs> now, I'm just curious, though, when you made your second appearance, had at least several seasons gone by? Oh, yes. Many, many. It was... Um, uh, that's yeah. what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. Because people might be like, wait a minute. Um... <laughs> I think it was maybe eight, nine, ten years had elapsed. And that was the only reason why they were willing to do it. Isn't it interesting, Blake, when you get used to having a franchise on for so long, it feels odd when there's not a CSI show on. That's so true. (laughs) You get used to, you know, a certain franchise. And, of course, I really enjoyed CSI Miami big time and and also New York as well. Well, thank you for sharing those stories. It's it's been such a delight speaking with you today. and, And please come back down the road. I'd really enjoy that. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure meeting you and chatting. You can receive all the latest episodes of Hollywood and Beyond with Stephen Brittingham delivered to your favorite listening device by subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or whatever happens to be your favorite podcast listening service. Don't miss out. Tune in.